0: Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. Dear Young Rocker, welcome back. It's great to see you again. I missed you, and I can't wait to get back to your story. But first, I just want to say up top here for anyone tuning in for the first time— that I do suggest they start back at the beginning of season one to get the full effect of what all of the things happening to you now really mean because of what you've been through before. If you haven't caught on yet, this podcast right here is a whole lot like a book and typically you read those things from front to back, but I'll give a recap for everyone anyway. You have come a long way through a bunch of challenges. You survived all 12 grades of school as a shy, anxious kid with some pretty intense self-esteem issues and found music, specifically rock music, to be the one place where you could really feel like yourself. You pushed through your social anxiety and got up the nerve to join your first band and play some awesome shows where you felt truly alive for the first time. Of course, that came with its own baggage, being the only girl around who played. And I want you to get credit for all you've been through. Despite some setbacks and unhelpful comments of some insensitive music teachers and a first year of college just kind of floating around alone, you're now a music major, sound recording technology to be exact, and you're putting a lot of your biggest insecurities about yourself to the test, and I really admire that. I'm trying to think of the last time I took such a big leap into the dark. Maybe it was when I decided to put this story here out into the world. And maybe it's time to start thinking about the next big risky move. Because if you don't jump forwards, sometimes you might fall back. Or something. That sounds pretty good, huh? I'll keep that one. Okay, let's go back to college. I'm sitting in my recording 101 class enjoying this talk about microphones. So, we have the omnidirectional, we have. I kind the of assumed they all worked the same way before now. I'm really digging this technical knowledge. You can actually see this stuff and use it directly, choosing what mic to use and how to use it, and thinking about how the signal flows through the mixing board. I'm actually enjoying paying attention in class for once. But of course, this guy raises his hand. I don't like this guy. He always asks a question that takes so long that I lose my attention in the first three seconds. So, um, I just wanted to get your opinion on something, you know, one professional to another. Something about some particular model of microphone and its frequency response, it wasn't one of the ones covered in our textbook. I think he's talking about some recording session he did. What, is this guy already a professional recording engineer? Why is he in school? I look around the room. I'm the only girl in here. I wish I had someone to complain to about dudes like this, but everyone else probably already knows what he's talking about, and I don't want to look like, you know, the girl. The teacher seems to be as annoyed with the question as us, but he still can't seem to stop himself from talking about microphones with this kid. I wonder if I'm supposed to know this stuff. Like, Should I be thinking this textbook is beginner baby stuff instead of thoroughly enjoying learning about how a microphone works? Isn't this the point of Recording 101? After the lecture is my favorite part, studio. We go into the analog recording room, two of us at a time. As soon as I step in, I feel soothed. My constant anxiety seems to chill out, and I feel my pulse slow down a little because of how quiet it is in here. The walls have this soundproofing on them that reminds me of a brick of uncooked ramen noodles. I sit down in front of the reel-to-reel machine and put on the headphones. I pop on my project reel and wind the tape past the head and onto the other reel. I rewind and fast forward a couple times to make sure it's not floppy. Then I hit play. When I hear the first place I need to cut, I press stop. I think I hit the button a tiny bit early though, so I slowly rock the reels back and forth with my hands to find the exact spot where the sound ends the slowed-down sound moans at me like a spooky ghost. When I find the very end of the sound wave before the next one starts, I press the tape on the metal cutting thing and use my little razor blade to slice it at just the right angle. I'm a messy person who can't put on makeup without smearing it all over my eyes or paint a wall without getting drops on the floor and feeling restless, but for some reason, I could do this delicate patient work all day. I could work with audio forever, I think. I imagine parts of my brain lighting up and making new connections as I get better and better at putting the little piece of sticky tape onto the audio tape without getting any fingerprints on it. When I press play on the machine and listen back, I hear that my cuts were perfectly spaced, Nothing's cut off or rushed. There's no clicking or popping or hissing. I wonder if the annoying question kid's reel sounds as good as mine does. When my studio time is over and I emerge from the nice, quiet room into the busy hallway, I really wish I had another hour. I watch as my mom takes the smallest bite of her French dip. I think it's the smallest bite anyone has ever taken, and yet it's falling out of her mouth while she starts simultaneously chewing and talking to me. You know, you really don't have to decide. I think you're creating a problem for yourself here. You don't have to date either of them or choose anything you don't have to date anyone you know it's okay to just have friends and like you know if you're in college you can just sleep with your friends (gasps) i cannot believe those are words a mom just said to a daughter or that even worse i am the daughter I'm so uncomfortable, I can't even look up from my plate. I roll my eyes and finish my burger in two bites and then respond. Yeah, uh, I don't just sleep with people if they're not my boyfriend. An outright lie. Two weekends ago, I hooked up with a guy I met on Craigslist on Friday night in my dorm room, and a guy I met on Facebook on Saturday in the bathroom of a stranger's suite. I flash back to that party. My first college party. His friend opening the door wearing a Bad Brains shirt, me saying, cool shirt, him saying, you know Bad Brains? Uh, yeah, my high school band covered that song, Sailin' On. Getting handed a bottle of mead, and then four Miller Highlifes in a row. Finding myself in the suite's bathroom with my Facebook crush. His beautiful eyes. His body. My body. Then, his friend pounding on the locked door, and not even caring, because it felt like love. And then there was Aaron. When he had shown up to my dorm room with a bottle of wine, he insisted that he liked to go slow and that we would definitely not be hooking up tonight, which I believed right up until it happened. He kept saying, I have such a magnetic energy. He took off his shirt and showed me how to do a handstand against a wall. Thinking about balancing the amount of work I have with this music major and seeing two people at the same time is making me a nervous wreck. I have to choose. My mom is staring at me. I can see the wheels turning up there. You're thinking too much about this. You should be thinking about school. You don't have to choose anyone. I think about Aaron taking me out on my birthday to a hot yoga class and how I sweated more in that hour than I have in my whole life. My mom reads my mind. I have a weird feeling about this Aaron guy, she says. She's just saying that because she hasn't met him. I get in my car and drive back to campus, yelling along to Billy Joel about how this is my life And you can go ahead with your own life and leave me alone. I'm standing outside the digital editing studio, waiting for my time to start. My partner is that guy, the one who knows everything already and annoys me to no end in our recording class. I can tell he's about to say something about editing, and I'm worried I'll have to pretend to know what he's talking about. Do you know how to automate the volume in Cubase? Is it even possible? Uh, I don't know, uh, or I don't think... Uh, I can't believe he just asked me a question. Then the door opens, and we go in. I have my new $300 headphones. They make everything sound amazing. I've found little piano parts and synth lines in my favorite songs that I had barely even noticed before with these. And the bass response makes me feel tingly. I notice in one of the tracks I'm working on in my session that it would be cool to make the sound appear to be coming in and then going away from the listener. My project is this fake radio ad for a really silly cowboy-themed all-you-can-eat buffet that I made up. I do a goofy country accent and a horse whinny in it. (coughs) My favorite part was saying, come and get it. I want the horse to be running away, and I need the music to come in and out, too. I figure I need to do fade-ins and outs, but you can't do either of those in the middle of segments, only on the ends, and I don't want to split the tracks up. Oh, that's what automation must mean, I realize. That's what this kid was asking me. Like when you see a video of a professional mixing board and the knobs are all going up and down on their own as the song goes along and the instruments come in and out. It's the digital equivalent of that. I don't see a button for that either, so I do what makes sense to me in any software that I'm still figuring out. I mentally divide my screen into a grid and then go one square at a time, top to bottom, left to right. Trying to click and right click and control click things, and finally, boom, a little previously invisible triangle pops up and shoots out a hidden menu below it. It has the automation features on it. Guess Mr. Microphone Guy doesn't have a knack for software. <laughs> I mess with my track's volume and then automate the reverb to make it sound even more like the sound is coming and going. This is, like, so fun. I start sort of bouncing in my chair as I work. Then I look over to my partner. His face is scrunched up. He clearly still hasn't found the button. Maybe I should show him? If I don't, his final project might come out kind of bad, Or he could spend hours finding a workaround. Who knows everything now, bro? At the end of the session, we take our headphones off. He says, see you later. Yup. Ah, revenge is sweet. I turn and start walking to my dorm and think about what happened last night. My Facebook friend came to my room, offering me a birthday gift a DVD of the newest season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and a pretty drawing of a tree that he made himself. He said happy birthday and gave me a hug, and I leaned in to enjoy it, but then he pulled away like it had been too long of a hug. It reminded me of how he decided not to sleep over in my room after the party and walked all the way back to his friend's dorm in the middle of the night. Thank you, I said. I couldn't tell him to his face, but I'd made my decision. I show up to our recording classroom for the talk by our visiting guest. Hey guys, what's up? This guy's a studio engineer and a touring sound guy for some big bands. He looks kind of grumpy and his clothes look sort of old and worn out but not in a cool way, more like he just buys them at Walmart once every 10 years. He says he's going to be honest about the life that we're signing up for in this degree. I'm here to tell you about the life. He tells us about how he only sees his own apartment a few times a year and that he can't have a dog because of that. He tells us, you don't know what tired really is until you do a session that starts at 10pm and ends at 10am and then another one and another one in a row and then go on a tour right after that. He makes a point to mention that most of the people who do this don't have degrees. They just started as apprentices and that there's no guarantee of a job for any of us out there anyway. That there's too many people trying to do it. By the end of his talk, I wonder if anyone else is thinking what I'm thinking. That night, I decide to journal about it. I pick up my pencil and start with the quote that's been stuck in my head from a recording professor's last lecture. Only get this degree if you're 100% sure it's the only thing you want to do if it's the only thing you can do. Then I go on. I mean, I still kinda want to save the environment and I wanna read a lot of books and I wanna take more art history and philosophy classes and there's probably other stuff I wanna do too that I don't know about yet. I think I might actually wanna be a journalist because I like to think about the world and get to the bottom of things. And I want to make a difference somehow. What kind of thinking or writing could I possibly do as a sound engineer? And what if I don't get a job? I'm competing against all my classmates. I don't want to live with my mom forever. The good bass players have gotten even better than me, too. Maybe I've improved, too. I don't know. I just know that some of the bass players who were more on my level in the fall seem to have learned all the special jazz tricks, and I haven't. Or at least they know how to talk about it. No matter how many times Chuck tells me how solid my rhythm is and how my feel is so musical, I just want to do the jazz tricks, and I can't. I still mess up when I try and I still failed oral skills one, and I don't know whether to blame it on Mr. Buckles or my crappy ear. But I'm in a makeup class with Bonnie now, and she's nice. She's patient with me and encouraging, and she doesn't wear insultingly mismatched children's socks. It's still hard, though. I still hate that practice CD, and now that we've passed the point of what I was sort of able to do last year, It's getting to the chords I have trouble with. I'm starting to worry that I'll fail again, even with Bonnie's help. What do I do? I close the journal. I pick up my bass and just run some scales and random licks. Whatever my hand feels like doing. I can move it so much faster after Chuck helped me get rid of that pinky sticking out problem that I had. It just feels good to play. This is what being good at something feels like, huh? Wonder what it would be like to feel this way when I'm trying to make friends instead. Huh, yeah, right, man. I am pretty good at bass though, even if I can't play dumb jazz. Maybe giving up would be a mistake? I reassure myself that I can still always do this, even if I'm not a music major. And I think maybe not having it be my career would keep it more fun anyway, right? That seems to be what all these grumpy old frustrated music teachers think. I don't want to burn out like that guy from our class. But God, I don't want to lose music again. I'm in the woods at Great Brook Farm. The trails seem endless here. Aaron showed me this place, but I already think of it as mine. I've been hiking every day I possibly can, usually with Aaron. Sometimes we even go at night and even leave the flashlight in the car, his idea. I get kind of scared and I'd never do it alone, but the stillness of the woods in the moonlight Makes it worth it. If Aaron's not around, I go by myself. I'm the only one on the path right now, beneath the tall, skinny pine trees. I inhale the scent of them, warmed from the sun, even though it's getting colder out. The smell reminds me of sitting in the bathroom with my mom when I was little while she blow dried her hair. It's comforting. I feel like my energy is radiating out and the trees are receiving it and reflecting it back to me. I want to help these ancient beings grow and I want them to help me too. I stop and look up at the very tips of them, lightly swaying. And I ask them out loud, what should I do, trees? I feel like I hear them respond in my mind. You know, you always know, it will be okay. Thanks, I say. I close my eyes and imagine hugging them all. As I walk deeper into the woods, I think about how I feel so connected here, more than I ever do with the people around me at school or my parents. Never mind anyone else in my family. Nature and my cat, and I guess Aaron. That's what I have. And music. Although, I don't know if that's real or just a fabrication of my mind. Sometimes college just feels fake. Here, I feel real, and secure, and sure of what I'm doing. I'm walking. I'm feeling. I'm breathing. I've been having more and more trouble breathing lately. I mean, I always have. I remember trying to explain this to another human for the first time. The therapist that the school appointed me to talk to. It felt like I was making it up while I told her. I couldn't tell if she believed me. Her face was totally blank as I kept going. I felt disconnected from the words coming out of my mouth, even though I know they're real. Even though I knew they're real. I went on to say how sometimes it feels like I just can't get any oxygen to my brain at all. It's like no matter how deeply I breathe, I still feel dizzy and can't focus. No matter how many times I tell myself, in and out, in and out, as soon as I stop thinking it, my breathing stops, and then my heart pounds hard like it's trying to keep me from dying. It happens in class. It happens in the cafeteria. It happens when I'm alone in my room. The only time it doesn't happen is when I'm walking in the woods. I come here where there's no people and plenty of plants, hoping the trees can revive me with all their oxygen. I think back to that night at my mom's house last summer with Dan. It hasn't gotten that bad again, but sometimes I start to feel it. After that incident, my mom brought me to this psychiatric nurse practitioner, and she looked horrified when I told her the story. Then she said it was a panic attack and a watch for signs of schizophrenia. She gave me Trazodone to help me sleep and Prozac. I took them both for like two days and just felt like a zombie and didn't sleep any better. Then my mom said, You don't need this crap. You just need to talk to someone. And she flushed all the pills down the toilet. Since then... I've felt the beginning of an attack a few times. Like, my breathing stops and I feel like everything is wrong and everything about me and my life is wrong and horrible. But I don't let myself fall off the edge into the nightmare anymore. There's no more curiosity. I know where it goes. But I worry that if a really big bad one comes again... I won't be able to stop. What if I'm alone? I look up at the trees again. They won't let me be alone. And while I'm walking here, I never feel that way anyway. The college therapist said I should go to the psychiatrist. I can't decide if I want to try pills again. I just want to tough it out and get out of my head like my mom says. And sometimes I feel like I can for a minute, but I don't know how long I can keep it up. It's so much work not falling apart all the time. I'm getting worn out. After two hours of hiking, it starts to get dark and I go back to my car. It's the only one left in the lot. Don't make me go back, I think, and I put my forehead on the steering wheel and start crying. I could have stayed in the woods forever, just like I wanted to when I was little and we had that forest out back. Leaving nature always feels wrong. Maybe I should just be a forest ranger. Maybe I have too many options. My breathing gets tight again, a few minutes into my drive. I can't stop sighing over and over more and more deeply as I drive back to campus. Dear Young Rocker, Soon, the world will be trying to tell you an important lesson. That there's no perfect major for anyone or perfect job. No matter what you choose, starting a career is always super hard after you finish school. Everyone in every field of work struggles to find a job that both pays them well enough and doesn't intrude on their personal life, if they can even find a job at all. And everyone at some point sees the frustrations of their chosen line of work more than the benefits. So, unless you win the lottery, that's just something you're going to have to accept about life. It's too bad you've been scared off by these know-it-alls and pessimists. I'm sure you'd find them in any major. There's disgruntled people in every professional field. And there's really no perfect choice for anything at all. No perfect job, no perfect person to date or marry or be best friends with. And the fact that inside, you still want to make the perfect decision while the world keeps showing you that it's impossible is why your anxiety is rearing its head so freaking hard right now. It happens to a lot of people in college. You won't find peace this way. It won't be until you completely let go of the bogus idea that somehow we can just know in our gut what the perfect choice is that you'll settle in with life. Actually, a lot of the time, we don't even get to choose. It's more what you do with whatever path you end up with. If you stick to it, give it all you've got, but you still give yourself some time to look around and smell the flowers and make some friends, you will end up perfectly fine, whether you find yourself as a sound engineer, a biologist, or a sanitation worker. I still struggle with this stuff now, of course. Sometimes I'm late for stuff because I can't choose the perfect outfit for whatever situation. But once my bed has more than three things tossed on it, I just say, you know what, I'll work with whatever I've got on when I get there. That's kind of what you have to do with decisions in life, even the seemingly big, huge, important ones. I hate to tell you, but I'm still not settled in my career. I have no idea where it will go from here, but I'm okay with that. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You are on the path you are meant to be on. You're just still programmed to look for signs that things are wrong and to run away. You're really good at being critical and noticing patterns. And you feel things more intensely than others. These are good traits, but they also come with a dark side. You're better at being critical of yourself and your situation. It's like you're a budding superhero, learning to use your power responsibly, so that you don't accidentally hurt yourself or others. But hey, it was pretty sweet the way you got back at that know-it-all kid in the studio session, even if it wasn't the nicest thing to do. He probably spent way more hours on his project than you did. I can't definitively say you made a mistake choosing Aaron over Facebook guy. Again, there is no such thing as a perfect choice. And as much as I hate to do it, I have to agree with your mom at least about the romantic stuff. Especially when she said you really don't have to choose or date anyone at all. I think making friends and sleeping with whoever you choose as long as you're responsible about it probably is actually the way to go in college instead of committing to someone and spending all your time with them before you really know them or how to be in a relationship but i do agree with you that you could have used a semester or two break from classes i bet Working a job and supporting yourself would quickly show you how good you have it just going to school full-time, picking whatever classes you like. I know your parents would never, ever be on board with you taking a break, though. Would you have magically figured out what you want to do with your career, or if continuing in music is the right choice? Probably not. But at least you could have maybe found more helpful mental health professionals. Maybe. Anyway, as crazy as the path you are on is now, and it's only going to get crazier, you will be actively learning lessons. And it all starts with making mistakes. And the next one It's going to be pretty damn big, and it has nothing to do with your major. Hang in there, kid, and listen to those trees. They know what's up. Next time on Dear Young Rocker, young Chelsea plays her first and final jazz concert and attends an interesting yoga class. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. The show was written and created by me, Chelsea Erkson. I also wrote the theme song, I record and edit the episodes, and I create many of the musical pieces and sound effects you hear in the show. The other half of our two-person production team is Colin Fleming, who provides more sound design and music and also mixes the episodes. I would also love if you would join me on Instagram at Dear Young Rocker and follow Double Elvis too. I also have Facebook and Twitter and I just really love hearing stories and seeing pictures of your own awkward young rocker beginnings. So please dig up an old picture and tag me and I will definitely reshare it. And please, please share this story with anyone, anyone who has a young rocker in their life who you think could be touched by this. Because that's the whole point. And write a review on a podcast if you like the show, because that goes far toward the goal of helping kids feel less alone too. Thank you. Would you like a chance to win a Dear Young Rocker season two poster to hang up on your bedroom wall? Then post a picture of your own Young Rocker self on Instagram in your story with hashtag Dear Young Rocker and tag both double Elvis and Dear Young Rocker And we'll randomly pick some winners from there. And thanks to Nate Gonzalez for creating this cool poster. You can find him on Instagram at NateMoonLife. Thanks for listening, kids. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.